Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Fox and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bill Higgin. And this is Vicar. Peter's here. Hey, Pete. Hey, Pete. So how you doing, Pete? You haven't been on for a little while. It, it, sometimes I think the show suffers when we try and record without you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, last week was great. <laughs> Good. <laughs> great. Do we have, have any response to that yet? I don't... Yeah. <laughs> and we got the hate mail pouring in. <laughs> Truth be told, I haven't listened, but I've been told that you guys think it was a little bit less than our best. <laughs> it might have been more in some ways. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes more is less. Yeah. <laughs> is that what they say? Yeah. So what kind of beverage do you got there? Ah, so I have brought a giant container of Diet Mountain Lightning, and that is Walmart's version of Diet Mountain Dew. Uh, it's kind of my go-to. Wow. I've got some... Uh, uh, I still have some juicy juice left over in my fridge from when, when the, the associate producer was here to visit. Oh, Yeah. She asked if I had any juice in my fridge, <laughs> in the clerical heirs fridge. So, ah, and it's got the little straw that you stab into. Oh, it's a bindi straw, even. Oh yeah, hmm. of course it. You know, maybe eventually you'll graduate to a tippy cup. Um. Oh, delicious. <laughs> Is that the right kind? Oh yeah, fruit punch, apple <laughs> fruit punch. Delicious. Right on. So we're starting off high energy today. Yeah. <laughs> we need that mountain lightning or whatever yeah, to, to kick in, huh? Yeah, exactly. That's why it's here. Well, let's get into the text. Okay. Uh, what what am I preaching on? <laughs> <laughs> the temptation of Jesus. Truth be told, we are working ahead. Yeah. So uh, um, we're trying to get a little ahead for Lent, which means I have not looked at the text at all. Okay. I well, kind of know what it is, but... I bet you've... I'm thinking you've preached on it before. Uh, probably. I mean... Well, well what is it? <laughs> the Temptation of Jesus. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came 
and were ministering to him. I think a good way to address address this text is to consider what parts of the catechism we see in this text. If, if you're not sure what to do, uh, you know, obviously I know some things about the text. Sure. That's always a good place to start. Okay. So uh, let's let's uh, kind of list through some of the things, the, the catechism, teachings in the catechism that we see in this. Okay. I think the first is the, is the obvious. All right. The first commandment is very obvious. You shall have no other gods. Right. Don't worship the devil. I always think to myself, like, why did the devil think that Jesus, Jesus would be tempted by such an offer? But I think you've said something to me since I've been a vicar here that made me understand it a bit better. But nevertheless, I think it's worth talking about. Well, he was offering Jesus all the kingdoms, a kingdom. Yeah. Jesus came to, to for a kingdom, right? Right. He was offering him a kingdom without a cross. Right. You don't have to suffer and die. You can just, here, bow down to me, and then we'll just circumvent all of that. Hmm. But it wasn't really his to give, is the way I always thought. Like, how would it? But it had to. Well, to to him belongs death, and sin. Okay. And and you could say if you are not of Christ, you are against Christ. You know, and it, and it really weren't his necessarily to give. But at the same time, he is the temper temp, uh, tempter. He is the deceiver. He is a father of lies on which right they're built. So. You're either in, in one of two camps in this world. That's true. So right. so we have the first commandment. Uh, what else we can you think of? Well, I think the idea that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, it makes me think of the second commandment, but I don't. I wonder if that's what you think of. Yeah, you could think of, certainly, uh, you know, about uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. Right. Like because do... the name of, of Christ is so attached that any kind of worship would profane the name of God. Right. Well, I was thinking that if you kind of are, if you're putting God to the test, you're kind of misapplying, uh, it's almost like you're misapplying prayer, which would be sort of a second commandment violation, I think. Okay. Because, you know, yeah, like you could say that. you're wanting God to do something, you know, he's kind of like you're asking him to do something. You're throwing yourself off the top of the temple asking God to save you from this foolishness that you you absolutely could have avoided right so so you could you could easily you know find the Ten Commandments what let's move on to the Creed okay uh where do you I, I see the first article in this he has given me created me given me he is the right. one that I am I answer to because he is the the author of life. And he is the one who sustains us. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus relied on his father to sustain him, even after going without food. He did not trust in any other thing to provide him what he needed. He still trusted God. Okay. I mean, it's still an interesting thought. Like, if the devil didn't show up and tempt Jesus to turn the stones into bread, I mean, this is speculative, could Jesus have just turned it into bread because he felt like it and ate some bread? Or are you saying that, like, there was... Or was it because it would be cooperating with what Satan wanted that it became a sin? I don't know. It's kind of a weird question. I think um, he was obedient to his father's will. And part of his humiliation was laying aside, even though he was God, mm-hmm. to set that aside to hunger in our place. Okay. To be one of us in the midst of temptation. To be the epitome of, of what we are in our weakness and hunger. 
so that there could be no excuse. He really did conquer these temptations as one of us, as a really, really hungry one of us, okay. a really, really weak yeah. one of us. So what that does is any excuse that we may have to sin and falling temptation is just wiped away. You know, yeah. go without food for 40 days and then have it bread offered to you and see what happens. <laughs> right. So any excuse of our own falling to temptation is wiped away because Jesus went in as the weakest, hungry, Hmm. and still still overcame them. I see. That's pretty good. So I think, obviously, you have the second article in this. If you are the Son of God. Right. Right? Obviously, he is. Uh, he is a uh, Son of God and Son of Man, born of the Virgin Mary. Uh, and uh, Son of—so he. you could see, certainly here, the, the two natures of Jesus working, Jesus being the Son of God— and also being human, one of us, hungry, weak, and overcoming temptation for us on our behalf. And so there you too have um, the redeeming quality of the second article where Jesus conquers and overcomes the temptations for us, you know, being a little Israel, uh, going out in the wilderness to be tempted right. uh, and overcoming them for, uh, for us on our behalf. So there you have the second article at play as well. It is still very interesting to me that Satan's words, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Why wouldn't he, with divine power, simply have used it to make himself not hungry? Now, we know he didn't, That like because of all the reasons that you just stated, he was actually hungry. He was actually Because he had to fulfill living, the Father's will. Right, and living as a man would live, like, without eating for 40 days. Right. And uh, It was the Father's will that he go hungry. Yeah. And Jesus would have understood that, why he was there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was led out by the Spirit, it says in the beginning. Yeah. So that just shows uh, the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father uh, desired that he be out there to be tempted in the wilderness for a reason, to be hungry for a reason. Right. And so I, th I would say that that is one aspect. Another aspect, if you go back to... Uh, the the Israel example I talked about how there he Jesus was kind of uh, a type of Israel right doing what Israel could not do well what is it that they had trouble with not trusting in God right uh, you know even complaining when he rained down manna from heaven right yeah they actually got food <laughs> during we the... hate this detestable food right <laughs> so and and so also then I think creating bread for himself would actually show uh, a lack of trust. Hmm, okay. That, that God really would provide for him. If he led him out there, just like if, if God uh, told Abraham, if you sacrifice your son, well, if you gave me this son, he asked me to sacrifice him, certainly you'll bring him to life again. Right. And and uh, if Jesus could just make, would just make bread, is he really going out as one of us to do what we were unable to do? Right, because we cannot turn rocks into right. bread. And got it. Right. Um, let's move on uh, to the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. To me, this is this is one of the more profound ones. To me, uh, what you have here is the inverse of the Ten Commandments, or not the ten, the Lord's Prayer, like hmm. almost the exact opposite. So, our Father who art in heaven. He, he tries to, is he really, if you are the son of God, hmm. 
hallowed be thy name. We already talked about the second commandment. Thy kingdom come. Well, he offered him a kingdom, not God's kingdom, right. but a kingdom without a cross. Yeah. Thy will be done. We just talked about the bread. It was not the Father's will that yeah. uh, that Jesus eat that way, right? Yeah. Give us this day our daily bread, trusting that God would give us all that we need to support in this body life, even if we're in the mm. wilderness. Deliver us from evil. Well, here Jesus is delivering us from evil by overcoming evil and temptation in our place and our behalf and by his death he gives us that victory so that we have the the fullness of overcoming all temptation uh, as Jesus became came the weakest among us in our place thy will be done give us this day our daily bread yeah um deliver us from evil right um the only lead one... us not into temptation there you go and he's out there being tempted there you go so, so Jesus is is obviously being being tempted for us, um, and there's a difference between being tempted and being tested. It's it's uh it's kind of like the difference between uh, I think we did we talk about this here I talked about it somewhere, the difference between like an injury, and lifting weights. Oh okay. Uh, you lift weights. What you're actually doing is you're actually breaking your muscle down. Right, right. You're tearing. The point of lifting weights is to tear muscle fibers so that you can get stronger. I know it's true, but it sounds horrible. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Good. <laughs> Anyways, right. As opposed to like tearing muscle in a way that injures you, that makes you weaker. So that's that's a good way to think about the difference between testing and tempting. God tests us. He allows certain things to happen to make us stronger. The devil uses temptation to, right, to do the opposite, to make us weaker and to make you fail rather than succeed. Right. Um. And so, if if you really look at that, uh, and I, I will get to this in my top twelve list today. Oh, okay. Okay. But really, the devil is everything of the ten of the Lord's prayer. He's doing the opposite of. Hmm. So we don't necessarily think of the Lord's prayer being an answer to temptation. And, but really, the Lord's Prayer is kind of the opposite of what's going on. Exact opposite in every step of the way. So how, let's go on uh, to uh, uh, how is this uh, related to the other parts of the commandments or the catechism? How is, what does this have to do with baptism? I might be less prepared than you are. Okay. <laughs> uh, in baptism, we say... Uh, the old Adam, along with its evil desires, is drowned. The old Adam in us mm-hmm. is drowned. So so the old Adam, who was tricked by the devil in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. Who was succumbed. Are you looking up uh, Romans 6? <laughs> That's a good idea, but actually I was trying to find the small catechism in the back of the Bible here. No. <laughs> it's in the front. Oh, it is? Um. Uh, and baptism is the the drowning of the old Adam in our sinful desires. So, um, you have uh, in the temptations in Jesus conquering them. It is also He who conquers our own sins, and our sins that are drowned. You know, we already talked about uh, Jesus kind of being a, a type of Israel here. Well, what happened? They they crossed the Red Sea. 
was an image of baptism. Right. Across the Jordan, image of, of baptism. Of again. baptism. And uh, you have Jesus showing in his defeating of the devil that he is the one who is the power of that baptism. He is the one who has the ability to drown the old Adam within us. And also you have the centrality of the word, right? It is a theological battle here. We don't necessarily think of temptation of being a theological battle, but hmm. it is really at its clearest form. Did God really say, isn't right. it written? Right. Uh, that's Theology is at the heart of these temptations. And so, well, does that have to do with baptism? Well, baptism isn't water only. No. It is uh, the the word of God communicated with and under the water for the sake of the child of God. Is God attaching His word and promise to baptism? And so here, when we think of sin being confronted with the word of God, that is a baptism thing as well. All right, How, let's go to the office of the keys. Is there office of the keys in this account? That one's harder, because I was thinking, even when you did the Lord's Prayer, you, you kind of skipped over, forgive us our trespasses. Oh. I, and so I thought, well, maybe he can't find a connection to that one, and that's why you skipped it. Oh, no, I, I didn't skip that for any particular reason. Oh, okay. Because then an office of the keys is all about forgiveness. And... I mean, isn't that why he's out there in the first place? Isn't he, this preparation and for the forgiveness of our sins, isn't he fulfilling the law for us in our behalf? The mere fact that he is out there overcoming temptations means that our own failure needs to be dealt with. Right. Um, and so he is also showing that this victor, victory over the temptations in that way is also for us, which means that forgiveness is one that not only is something we receive, but also something that we give. Mm-hmm. So, so how does this do with the office of the keys then? Uh, I would say this, Jesus here shows the authority over sin and death. Right. And how his word overwhelms of truth, overwhelms the darkness. And that authoritative word is what he speaks to the sinner mm. through the church, through the pastor. So um, according to that divine command, the one who overcomes temptation is the one who speaks forgiveness. And, um, and I actually will get this to the, my top 12 list. And, and, and when you look at temptation, uh, and you, 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 sin has a way of coming and appearing as your friend. It comes with its promises. It comes with it appeals to us on all sorts of levels. Even in Jesus, you could tell that there are times where he, he was appealing to the good nature of Jesus in some way. Hmm. You know, you want these kingdoms, right? Right. You want them. You love them, don't you? He wants them for good reasons, even. Right. Right. So, and and sometimes temptation comes appeal, appealing to our better nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, appealing to, in a way that I can teach you how to love even better than God's way of teaching you to love. Right. And the authoritative word and instruction of Jesus in his overwhelming of sin and temptation. You know, when you go to confession and absolution, it is not only that your sins are forgiven, 
that's the main thing, right? Right. Right. But there's also, it also, in a way, addresses how you view those temptations that you have. There is a part of that of addressing it. I mean, when you go through confession, absolution, in a private manner, it's not just, this is what I did. Okay, your sins are forgiven. Sometimes a pastor will do a little needling there. Hmm. You know, how does this manifest itself? How, what situations are you in that lead you to do these things? You know, how, what are some things you can do to avoid those situations so it doesn't happen again? Right. It's not in a way that's, that qualifies forgiveness, but you're instructing them. Mm-hmm. And so this is why um, uh, what bugs me about sometimes, you know, I hear from Lutheran teachers, theologians, where they kind of downplay law gospel as a paradigm. It doesn't really address uh, how to how to love and how to be a good citizen and all those things. And it makes me think, well, that's, that sounds like it's coming from someone who doesn't actually trust or hold to what law and gospel actually does. <laughs> if the, if it's, if uh, repentance is drowning the old Adam and addressing your sin, that automatically instructs you that you don't want to do that anymore. Right. You're confessing it because it's bad. Right. You're there because you shouldn't have done it, and so there's instruction inherent in going to get forgiveness. And then that's really something that that happens also in confession absolution, mm-hmm. where you, you want to make sure that it's all out there, and that you know if there if there is a desire to change sinful behavior, you you want to foster that, and uh, you want to protect them. And you want to show, well, this is what sin is trying to do to you. It's trying to drive a wedge between you and God. Hmm. It's trying to destroy your faith. And so you got to talk about that. Because you and you address it with what Jesus says in his word. And so that there's no uncertain terms that, yes, I know my sins are forgiven. Right. Uh, and And you, in a sense want to prevent them from being placed in the same kind of situation that brought them to your, uh, to speak with you in the first place. So to me, if you're talking about temptation, the temptation of Jesus is his conquering it and how he overcomes those temptations with the truth. That certainly is something that happens, uh, through confession absolution. This reminds me of something a pastor told me when I was still, um, going to Calvary Chapel. So a long time ago now, um, where he pointed out that it's it's not a sin to go really far out of your way to avoid a sin. And he gave an example of if you were a drug addict and you knew which part of town had drug dealers in it, uh, it's, it is okay to go like way out of your direction and way around that part of the town to get nowhere near it. It was an interesting example. I just never had thought about that before that uh, you, you, you don't like have to go face your sin in a way. You don't have to like man up and go stand right where the most tempting thing is. In right. In fact, it's better to go way out of your way to avoid the sin that you know is tempting. That that that, that is also why uh, there's a community of believers as well. Hmm. Okay. Because there's accountability sometimes. Right. You know, there's actually protection in being a father and a husband, for example, in the sense of, you know there are many times as a father or a husband where you'll do something for other people that you won't even do for yourself. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. And I think so, there are times temptation falls into that. 
Yeah. Where, where you think, well, I don't, we care less about ourselves sometimes that uh, we don't want to cause anyone else to fall or stumble or to be hurt. And that actually is sometimes what prevents us. Right. I mean, even in mundane things, I, I build intentional peer pressure which I mentioned before, like when I was mm-hmm. dieting, I I started a little diet club so that, that I would be in charge of so that I would I would have to do it. I was in charge of the effort for us as a group. Or when I have, say, a personal trainer that goes to the gym <laughs> and happens to, you know, in the small town is usually there when I show up. I can't just walk away from the last few reps because I know he's going to ask me about it right. if I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of kind of peek out, see how Vicar's doing. Yeah. I try to be more encouraging than I am. <laughs> oh, you do pretty good. <laughs> but it's nevertheless, like uh, the other example you always hear is, you know, Michael Jordan, best basketball player of all time. And he had a coach, somebody that held him accountable. It wasn't just, he was just pure. I mean, he was pure raw talent in some ways, but even he had a coach to keep him accountable and, and to improve. I mean, maybe it's a dumb example, but no, what you're saying about like, right. The, you can't just stay at home every Sunday morning because God's everywhere and, uh, I mean, you're not going to live a very Christian life, it turns out. And, uh, and I speak from experience, sadly enough, on this front. All right. So there, I guess the, the only part of the catechism, the six chief parts we have not talked about, would be uh, the sacrament of the altar. Oh, yeah. And here, I think it's one, uh, you are, are uh, eating and drinking and receiving the victor of those temptations. The victory that Jesus Got won, it. you are partaking in that victory. Right. The one who conquers tempt- sin and temptations is the one feeding you. The other thing that you can easily see is, is when the uh, the devil tempts Jesus with changing those stones to bread. What does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone. Right. And... Uh, and that, that you are receiving not bread alone. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's a good word. Right? Yeah. We don't you, you get are, bread alone. Right. The <laughs> purpose of the Lord's Supper is not to, 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 to get a good breakfast, you know? Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, in the ancient times, did they eat more food than, so more quantity than we have now in our wafers and, and tiny cups? There, there is an indication of that misunderstanding in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Well, right. Where they were celebrating the Lord's Supper and getting drunk. Right. And people were... And some weren't getting anything at all. food and, and right. that kind of thing. So there is some suggestion that there was that kind of misunderstanding at times. Mm-hmm. But the quantity is not no. the thing that matters when the Lord's Supper, of no. course. Because sometimes, you know, if uh, if there aren't quite as many wafers on a particular Sunday and we're, we're like five wafers short... Right. You'll notice that some of them will get a half a wafer. Absolutely. I've I've been on a, I've been I've received a partial wafer before and it makes perfect sense. So <laughs> All right, uh I have no idea what I'm going to preach on, but I think that was a good uh, idea to kind of run through. Yeah, uh, that was pretty cool. Some things of the 10 commandments that we see. Makes me think like as I prepare my my Lent series, maybe maybe I have to look at my topics and say, okay, how do these how does this topic of week 1 relate to the small catechism? Even if I don't use all of that, it's a good mental uh, exercise. To... Because what it does is it, it uh, brings you back and looking at the text and, and the chief doctrines of the church. Right. How is it taught? And and the more you do that, the more you see just how uh, how you can find 
it all all those things in the midst of. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. All right, I, I have a top twelve list. Oh, good. Based on this, and actually have done this one before. I remember doing one, but I don't remember what it was. Hmm. And uh, and since we're at two hundred and four, yeah, episodes. Like, why don't I just do it again? <laughs> because who's even going to remember? Who's going to remember? Because I don't yeah, remember I don't what I it. said in it. <laughs> so if, if uh, someone is really bored, they can find that original top 12 list hmm. and they can compare it to this top 12 list. I probably will say many of the same things. <laughs> if you want, every now and then I'll go, oh, yeah, and nod my head. Okay. Even though like I'm, even though I'm number 19. <laughs> There's no way I was here for that one. <laughs> It's and uh, so what should Peter do? Peter, play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's top twelve. Now, now <laughs> I like the exuberance there, Vicar. So what I have done is the the revisitation of like I don't remember what I said in that last top twelve, but I remember doing it. Uh, but uh, it is the top twelve ways that you can deal with temptation. Okay, that sounds really good, actually. And I, I think this is something where, as Lutherans, we don't really like to talk that much about. Hmm. Not as much as we should. Okay, like the end times. <laughs> but if you look at what Jesus says and what Jesus does, often it is he does talk about temptation, avoiding temptation, sins of the heart. Right. Um. As, and uh, he does deal with this, but we tend to just deal with it in this way. Okay, you sin, Jesus forgives you your sin, without actually dealing with uh, the actual how do you handle temptation? Yeah. How do you look at it? We don't. Yeah. I don't think we talk about that much as much. Now you could say, well, it's because you know it's not the avoidance; it's temptation by which you're saved. That's true, but at the same mm-hmm. time. What is sin trying to do? It's trying to ruin your faith. Right. Right? Yeah, I mean... Independence is damaging. That destroys what you have in Christ Jesus. Impenitence. Mm. And and temptations seeks that in the life of the Christian. So we should address them. Right. You don't want to become comfortable with sin. Just because, yes, every Sunday we're forgiven. And you, if you get flippant like that, You'll, you, your heart can be hardened. I, I'm convinced of it, that you can become so comfortable with sin that it stops bothering you. And that's very, <clears throat> pardon me, very dangerous. Number 12. Part of being a baptized child of God is being willing to address it. Isn't that what, why don't you, you got your Bible there, open to Romans 6. All right. almost had to do this song in my head for the books of the Bible. <laughs> All right, uh, just go ahead and read the beginning of chapter 6 there. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Keep going, one more. All right. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, what is Paul saying? Is he just talking about resurrection, death and resurrection in terms of the last day? 
I don't think so. Because how does he begin this whole discussion? Um, like about continuity continuing in sin. Right. That, uh, that bapti- being baptized into Christ Jesus, being baptized into his death and resurrection means that that is a continual pattern. Right. Not just, okay, I am di- died and risen with Christ. That doesn't mean that I just that I will die and rise with him on the last day. It means that today I die and rise with him to walk in the newness right. of life. And so part of being baptized, you see here, is to be willing to look at sin and temptation, that you may avoid sin. By being baptized, uh, it means that it teaches us to be willing to address sin and temptation in our own life. You see that, Ficker? I do. I had never really... I'm staring at the text still because I hadn't really thought of it in terms of not just guaranteeing eternal life, right? I mean, like you, when you just started this little bit here, you said, what is it? Walking in newness of life, which is a continuing, ongoing uh, status. And then the beauty of that is it still is centered in the gospel, right? It's not something where it's placed in your hands. The hope still comes from the fact that as you walk in the newness of life, the only way you could walk in the newness of life is by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right. And so that becomes the heart and soul of everything you do as you even think of temptation and sin. But this this kind of shows that even just by being baptized, being baptized into Christ means that you are you seek to address sin and temptation. Right. It's a good chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number 11. And this is something you actually talked about already. Oh. Know your weaknesses and avoid those places and situations that uh, cause temptation. Absolutely true. Yep. And so, so simply know thyself, <laughs> yeah, right, um, really helps. Know when your weaknesses are um, and uh, being aware of those things. Um, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, for some reason, like if I go have coffee at Hardee's at a certain time, I wind up uh, saying things about people that I don't mean. <laughs> okay. Right? Or right. if I... Uh, by myself uh, with someone, and it, we, I wind up having too much, way too much to drink, or something like that, or you know, the whole whole host of things that we can think of of our own personal weaknesses that we we tend to like leave the door open rather than right. for sin to occur, and we think, well, I won't do it, but you know, I don't want to shut the door on it. <laughs> right. Um. So yeah, know those weaknesses and avoid them. I don't know. That's pretty simple. It's simple, but I it was nevertheless profound when the pastor told me that you know twenty years ago. Like it, it's not sinful in itself to avoid sin. I don't know why it was the way I needed to hear it at that point, but but the, it really worked for me to understand that like um, you don't have to go stand there where it's most tempting and then overcome the sin by some internal fortitude. Right. That is that's in fact a very poor practice because you're not going to be able to withstand it. Just avoid it. Go around, so to speak. Number 10. Understand that in temptation, sin appears as a friend, but that friend will betray you. Yeah. Think about it for a minute, Vicar. So sin then becomes your accuser. Hmm. You know, once temptation comes and then you fall into sin, then the devil becomes your 
accuser. Yeah. Holding it over your head. And and, and meanwhile, Christ is the one that forgives. Hmm. So who really cares about you? Right. I mean, I'm thinking about like in the Garden of Eden, Eve had no reason whatsoever to trust what the serpent told her. There was no reason for her to trust that. That was not her friend, uh, not the Almighty. And she convinced her that God wasn't her friend. Yeah. That he he was showing her the better way. I have what's your best interest in mind, not God. Right. Right. So, okay, so some t- temptation shows up looking like a friend and then transforms into your accuser as soon as you sin. And, 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 and Christ kind of does the opposite. You know, when people think of the church, they think of the church as the accuser. Right. But then lo and behold, what happens? What does Christ bring? Forgiveness. Right. It's the opposite. Yeah. First comes the good news and then the downfall, or first comes the law and then the gospel. Yeah, I mean, they, they you, flip around. The, yeah. the, the law kills us and then the gospel gives us life. Right. So be aware of that. You know, what is this temptation seeking to do? Drive a wedge between you and God. Mm-hmm. And and do those who are, are pursuing my temptation, uh, are, are they going to the ones that's going to stand up by me when I need it? Who will? The one who is willing to die for you. Right. Number nine. Consider those you love, how sin may harm them. I actually talked about this one, too. Okay. You know, Peter knows that uh, if, as a father, for example, uh, if... Uh, if uh, everyone ate, ate uh, and everyone at the table was still kind of hungry and there was some little bit of food left and one of the kids wanted, who'd, who'd get it? <laughs> right? The... I mean, I, I, would cook, I would cook for my own kids at times the way I would never cook for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a stand over the sink and eat out of a package type of guy? <laughs> Like if Peter had like a like something important, I always try and make him a egg sandwich or something, like way over the top. Nice. <laughs> but but think about that just for a minute. I think that is a very motivating factor. Um, uh, right. It is to consider those in your life that you love, and you don't want to harm them. Right. And sometimes that's a st- stronger appeal than even to our own self. Right. I, it's a dark thought, but if somebody was suicidal, it seems like I've read accounts where someone was suicidal and they, they didn't do it because they pictured in their head their loved one finding the, the results of their suicide and, and uh, that kept them from doing the act. So, mm-hmm. so there's an example, I guess, a dark one, but an example of where... And you also have the opposite. I think someone you think of suicide, sometimes it happens because of that. You know, this will really show right. them right. how much they've hurt me or something like that. Right. Yeah. We've heard horrible stories like that before. Yep. Yeah. Number eight. Uh, be open about your temptation with re- within reason with those you love and trust. Hmm. Um, it's, it's okay to be vulnerable and to, if you have people who love, you love and you know they love you and they you trust them. That's maybe that's the biggest step hurdle to get over. Right. But to be open about what you're being tempted with, uh, so they can help you. They can encourage you. You know, they can help you avoid those places. 
even though you may not want to hear them, if when it comes from yeah. someone you know loves you and you trust them, that uh, that is a very helpful thing. Of not just, you know, I said earlier we're a body of Christ, right? We need each other, and sometimes when it comes to temptations, we feel as though we have to fight those battles out of shame by ourselves, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to. Um, and uh, and I think we that's why. Um, we have people in our lives for that. That's why we have parents, uh, spouses, friends to, to help with that. That's you're going to talk about. Well, who is a true friend? I think that's a good example. Is that someone I can trust who I know would help me? Right. Um, it takes a little selflessness to be that kind of vulnerable. Right. But at the same time. That's a, that's a good thing to to have that kind of help. Why not use all the, the gifts that God gives you for the sake of being stronger? Right. Yeah, that's a big hurdle, though. You think about how few people in life you'd want to share something like that with. There's probably not a very, probably zero for, is what you would want. But if you get outside yourself, you know, even... Even then, you wouldn't be able to name right. very many people that you would want right, to share something I mean, like that. Well, let's all be honest. If, if people knew the sins of our own hearts, I mean, we wouldn't want to show our faces anywhere. That's right. Right? So, um, it is very liberating to be able to to be able to show your face in a way and have people still love you right? and give you strength and comfort. Number seven. This is kind of a simple one, but I'm going to explain a way that will really help. Okay. Pray. Oh, that's a very simple one. I mean, if you look at the Lord's Prayer, how much of it is praying for our own spiritual well-being? Deliver me from evil, lead me not in temptation, teach me, forgive me, and lead me to forgive others. Right. It's, you know, a lot of it is about our own spiritual being and Jesus teaching us to pray for that. Right. Just like we talked about uh, not too long ago, praying for the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right? But there's something particular about praying that helps. And that is this. Sometimes with temptation, temptation asks you to kind of set aside what you know about God. Yeah, that's a and very it asks you yes. to to set aside. Okay, um, uh, I'm gonna like we compartmentalize it. Okay, we're gonna take who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna put that on the shelf for a right. second. And <laughs> even if we're conscious or subconscious about it, right? We're gonna take a moment and say, okay, I'm gonna forget that God even exists. Right. Yep. There's that aspect of temptation where uh, that's why every sin really is a sin against the first commandment. Mm, that's a good way of explaining that. I've tried to get that explanation before because we say that, oh, yeah, all sin violates the first commandment. And I've heard that from pastors before. Uh, but now, because of what you just said, I actually understand that a lot better. I never really quite got it. I accepted it, but I didn't quite understand Right. Why. So let's say— uh, uh, you could see Jesus sitting in a chair in the room that you're in all the time, right? Okay. Would that change how you say things, how you do things, and how you respond to temptations? Of course it would. Right. If you take that, you know, if, if you uh, you talk about the example of, of driving around town or something. Right. Right? Well, you know, if Jesus was in your car, <laughs> <laughs> right? That, that's kind of an old school example, but that that might change. This is why prayer is important, because prayer teaches the exact opposite. If temptation is set aside, we kind of 
compartmentalizing. I don't know why I can't say that word. <laughs> okay. And saying, I'm going to put that on the shelf. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to, you know, forget who I am in Christ Jesus for a moment, or even forget for a moment that God exists. And I'm going to go, you know, live my life in this temptation. A prayer is the exact opposite mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. It's God hears me. Uh, he helps me. And uh, he knows my struggle. And he's there with his strength of forgiveness. Prayer is the opposite of that aspect of temptation. Right. It, it addresses the exact opposite of what that sin tries to do. Right. And it's the truth. Your God does hear you, right. does see you, and does know you. That's right. the truth. Especially a lot of temptation comes uh, when we're alone, for example. That's why it's always good to be around people. Um, but uh, there too, see how prayer is different. Temptation seeks you to, wants you to set all that aside, put mm-hmm. that in a box, forget that part. Now, now indulge in whatever s- temptation, but prayer is exact. It gets you in the opposite mind frame of him hearing you, him responding with mercy his strength for you in that situation. Um, And that is very helpful. And it really changes how you view things sometimes. It takes that that box that you like to set aside and you're just opening and says, okay, this is who I am. Right. And that's how prayer addresses that. I like to think that you kind of stick it to the devil a little bit too when you do that. Like if you have a, a, a temptation arise in your mind and then... Uh, maybe if it happens to me, for example, I might start singing part of the liturgy as a, a counter to it. It's a type of prayer. Mm-hmm. And uh, or, and um, anyway, I don't know if it really sticks it to the devil. He's probably not really aware of me, but <laughs> I think it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it addresses what temptation tries to get you to think, and it, and it flips it on, on the other end. Right. Number six. Go to church. That's always one of my top 12 lists, right, Pete? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> for, for the simple fact is, well, we talked about the rhythm, the being buried and risen with Christ, that it is not just what happened with Jesus and then what happens with you on the last day, right? Right. But it's also a rhythm that happens uh, on the seventh day with us. And it, your week begins and ends with the same being buried and risen with Christ. It it takes the rhythm of the death and resurrection and it puts it on the weekly schedule, and then it drives you to the daily schedule as you uh, prepare for the Lord's Supper, as you revel in the gifts of the Lord's Supper, and you learn that pattern. Um, going to church is really one of the hearts of that whole pattern, right? And it also then too, uh, in the in the liturgy, in the prayers, in the readings, in the sermon. It also then addresses your blind spots. It points you to, to, to consider certain aspects, for example, of the Ten Commandments. Uh, a good sermon will take some of the things that we've talked about temptation and, and kind of bring it out for you. It, it might uh, look at the challenges to faith. Remember we, earlier we said temptation was ultimately a theological battle. Right. Well, how do you address that? Going to church and praying. And hearing, <laughs> and hearing and receiving. There you go. Right? So I'm not just saying that uh, that to be, you know, of course, that's what a pastor's going to say. But 
it still has to be said. We say things that have to be said right. sometimes because they have to be said. Right. Number five. Take concupiscence seriously. Mm -hmm. Not just be so concerned with the outward sin, but be concerned with the desire to do that sin as right. well. Oh, Jesus was all over that on the Sermon on the Mount, of course. Right. And, and because I think sometimes we think, well, if I avoid the outward act, certainly that's good. Yeah, I mean, you've maybe you won a tenth of the battle. <laughs> right. But at the same time, uh, if you would address the desire to sin with God's word, that's even better. Right. <laughs> right. Right? Right. I'm teaching my confirmation kids that sin starts in your head. Uh, we studied about um, Ahab wanted, the, wanted the, the vineyard next to his palace there, mm -hmm. uh, Naboth's vineyard. And I pointed out, like, it started just in his head as something he wanted, and, and that was already sinful, and he didn't deal with it, and it got worse and worse, and it snowballed into murder and theft. And, and uh, isn't that what modern society teaches us? They do. I've been taught, you're not responsible for what you, uh, what you prefer. That's not your fault. I, I, there was a time where I was, I don't remember if it was theologically taught that, but somehow it was that was the saying that we were telling each other is like, well, you, you don't, you can't help what you like. And, and we were specifically meaning about sinful things. You can't help what you like. Right. And that's, then I became Lutheran and I found out that no, it's not just the actions that are sinful. Well, you might not, <laughs> but God's word. Right. And the Holy Spirit can drown uh, the old Adam along with his sinful desires. There you go. So, um, so considering the sinful desire and addressing that too really, really helps in the face of temptation and not just saying, as long as I'm not doing the outward acts, right? I've grown comfortable with that. Well, no, that's not, that's still sin. That still needs to be repented of. Yeah, absolutely. Number four. Actively seek loving alternatives for the desire behind sin. No, oh, okay. Yeah, it's proactive. I like it. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, for example, as husbands, we have, or men, we have certain things that drive us to be better husbands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are healthy ways to to, to handle those type of Temptations. <laughs> Not hundred percent sure what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, I think that's one thing that's kind of lost nowadays is the fact that I do believe that uh, as young men, there's a drive to be a husband. Oh yeah, which is a good thing. And uh, um, uh, to take. Take the things that, you know, if you're, whatever the case may be, that kind of drives you down a sinful, temptuous, temptuous. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, part of the things that God has wired us is actually good. He created us to be all sorts of things, and they could be used for sinful things. Or if you're mindful, of, you know, if you're wired a certain way, I'm going to use that drive that I have for good things. Right. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yep. You know, so for example, if it's greed and power that, that people are tempted with, well, maybe you can turn that rather than saying, well, what is it that I can do to be a good leader? Right. And the true meaning of the word good. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Like you're, you're looking for the the right outlet for the types of energy. That... How about a biblical example? How about okay. Peter, right? Yeah. We always we always kind of joke about Peter being kind of a uh, the hothead. Not, the... not this Peter. You know? Oh yeah, not not you, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> a different one. You don't know him. <laughs> um, and how we we talk, you know, how you know he was uh, protective of Jesus. You know, you're not going to die. I'm going right. to take out my sword. my sword. Cut the guy's ear off. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm going to die him, all those things, right? All those, you know, right. a hothead. I'd uh, rather die than Emotional, die all right. those things, right? Mm-hmm. What's interesting about all those things that he was tempted with, do you notice how after Jesus' death and resurrection, those same qualities are actually used for right. the opposite? Like, his fearlessness right, uh, really his, was helpful. His drive in a way that his sinful protection of Jesus of not wanting God's will became super protecting his word, being right. fearless and speaking that word. Singing in prison because he was in prison suffering for, for Christ. And so in, in, when Peter's sake, you see how how God switched those things that were tempting him to sin, and he used it in a way to for the betterment of the kingdom of God. Right. And so I think... Living as a baptized Christian in the forgiveness, that rhythm that we talked about earlier, can help you kind of see things in a different way of finding helpful outlets and good things rather than the opposite. Right. Number three. I've already talked about this earlier at length, actually, private confession absolution. Right. Um, I don't want, for time's sake, I don't want to necessarily delve into it, but we've already talked about how it's addressing sin and addressing right. future temptation. Well, if it, you it, know for sure that you're going to go have to talk about the sin that you commit, you're going to be less likely to commit it. Right. And that's part of it. And, and sure. bear in mind, when we're talking about this, we're not talking about so that you will be saved. No. no right. No, I no, just want to make not. sure we're clear. But I don't think we talk enough about this type of thing as Lutherans. I really don't. Right. I mean, how often do you talk about this stuff in seminary? Yeah, just a couple times. But yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, are we t- you, you talk about justification until you're blue in the face, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I, we had to learn concupiscence as far as the definition, which for me was, was eye-opening because I, I wasn't aware of the theological background of that until seminary. Yeah. There's also actually a song out there somewhere. <laughs> concupiscence. Concupiscence. <laughs> Man, that's a that's a great cover. You should get a hold of the original artist, see if you can do a collab or some, some kind. <laughs> yeah, that was a catechetical karaoke. I don't think I only did one catechetical song. Catechetical karaoke. Right, or I, or I uh, did a, a, a version of the safety dance. Oh. With concupiscence. <laughs> <laughs> concupiscence. Um, I, I might have to dig that one up if it's actually out there somewhere. It's like... Uh, we sin and we want to, you know, something like that. I don't remember. It was dumb. <laughs> it sounds, sounds kind of funny, actually. <laughs> Number two. 
consider the wounds of Jesus. Now, I'm not a big fan of taking the cross and beating you over the head with it. That's not why Christ died. That, okay. Right? He died for the forgiveness of your sins. Absolutely. Right? And I don't like using the cross and, and you know, using it as a battering ram to beat people in submission. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, because now you got to tell me what you are saying, because it sounds to me like you're saying, think about how you're driving those nails into his hands. Right. Is that, is that what you're saying? No. Oh, okay. I'm not saying that. Um, I remember one time years ago, it was for, a, I, didn't, I'm, I don't use object lessons usually ever, but I had uh, gotten out the cro- a cross with the body of Jesus. This is for for um, a Good Friday sermon, and I kind of put it next to me, and uh, I made it, it kind of gave a visual of how our excuses to sin sound hmm. in the presence of a dying Lord. Um, the cross of Jesus gives you an interesting perspective on sin and temptation. Part of temptation is a tempting idea to say, uh, it's not that bad. Right. Right. To downplay its sin's seriousness. You know, if no one knows, why does it matter? Whatever the case may be, considering the wounds of Jesus, um, and considering his death changes that perspective in a way that can be helpful. Not a, as a, like I said, hitting you over the head with it. You 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 did this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of uh, kind of leading, getting people to wallow in what I look what I did to Jesus. Right, right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you consider the wounds in the midst of temptation, it it changes how you view sin what it tries to do to you Hmm. it shows this is what sin wants for me this is what sin does to me if you look at the cross without christ um in no way can you look at the cross and say sin is good temptation is good right that this temptation that i'm going through is somehow a better way than because look what it does yeah look what look what the sin cost you know it cost the life of the son of god and so, therefore, it's nothing to downplay and to say it's not so bad. Or that you look at the hatred behind it. Hmm. You know, uh, uh, the cross shows us what the logical uh, conclusion to sin and temptation. This is really what it is. And like I said, I don't want it to be in a way that batters you and beats you over the head, because it is the great symbol of grace and mercy. The, the cross should should. Uh, um, uh, give us hope and peace. It's Good Friday. Right. At the same time, being aware of those wounds does change your perspective on sin hmm. and temptation. Right. Your sin does matter. It's not a small thing. Um, maybe that's beating over the head, but, it, but it's the words that come to mind when I think about trying to right. regard the wounds. And, and there, there's, so there, there may not even be words okay. if you try to over-explain it. Yeah. You know, I could you know, of of the kind of effect that simply considering and contemplating the passion of our Lord, um, but simply doing it and be mindful of it changes how you view those things. As you, and it, it's it's almost like uh, that the praying aspect on steroids. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Where it's a box, they have to kind of keep hidden away. 
uh, and when you pray, is, praying is the exact opposite right, of that. Right. This is kind of like that too. You're kind of saying, okay, that's not just a part. I'm not compartmentalizing. I can't say that word. <laughs> it's okay. Maybe I should drive around that word rather than try to say that word. <laughs> it slightly reminds me of uh, the Jesuit guy that the spiritual exercises. And so I know we don't mean it in that sense of just using your imagination as a as a supposed spiritual exercise. I don't know if you've read that book. We no. had to read it for seminary. But Even <laughs> <laughs> no mean reading, right? <laughs> you haven't read that book? Oh, oh of course I did. All right. So uh, that I'm sorry, I stepped all over your, your point, didn't I? Well, I just was thinking in that one, the I wish I was mostly trying to think of the guy's name, the first Jesuit, but counter-reformation stuff. And, That's where we need Berg, you know. Yeah, he'd remember. Somebody of Loyola or something like that. <laughs> okay, but anyway, he uh, he had spiritual exercises, which really amounted to just imagine that you're there at the at the manger when Jesus is born, and then imagine, you know, Mary sitting there, and, he, and it was just this kind of make believe mental uh, exercise. I guess he called it an exercise, but he thought it was would make you holier, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that's what we're talking about when we're saying regarding the wounds of Christ. Yeah, actually, one of the things I have the vicar do kind of before Holy Week, remind me to do this, Uh-oh. is when they're thinking about writing a, a Holy Week sermon, is to have them read uh, Martin Luther's, I think it was a sermon, How to Contemplate the Passion of Jesus. Hmm. And he goes through some of that. Okay. And number one. Rejoice in forgiveness. It all starts with forgiveness. Right. It's not a hopeless battle. Christ has won the victory. He defeated all temptations in our place. He overwhelmed them. He overcame them in your place. It's not a defeated battle that you fight. It's a battle that's already been won. Hmm. And uh, so it frees you to consider these things in a different light. Thank God. So that's my top 12 list. Did I miss anything, Vicar? Uh, I doubt it. I've been compartmentalizing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, boy, that time just flew by today. Oh, yeah. But we got it done. Uh, Thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. This is Vicar. And may your temptations not be tempting. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts questions, thoughts, concerns, you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clerical heirs podcast on Twitter at clerical heirs P for podcast or email us at feedback at clerical Thanks for listening to clerical heirs. See you next time.